baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for another chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves, and we continue our positional preview series as we take a look at what's happening behind the plate for Brian Snickers Club in 2021. To help me do that, I've invited my friend Corey McCartney of Talking Chop to jump on the show. You might also know him as the author of Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout. You can pick that up at Barnes & Noble, also Amazon, wherever books are sold. Want to go ahead and recommend that because if you love good Braves content, you need a copy of Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout. So we'll get to Corey in just a moment. Before we do, though, I want to remind you, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Make sure you leave those ratings and reviews and tell a friend if you'd be so kind. You can also find the show on YouTube. Just search for my name, Grant McCauley, and you will find the YouTube channel with each episode of From the Diamond there as well. Connect with the show on social media. Find me on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. The show is at From the Diamond underscore on Instagram. I am at Grant McCauley there. The show is at From the Diamond with no underscore. And you can find every episode of the show, articles, and much more at FromTheDiamond.com. So let's jump into our discussion today as we talk about the Atlanta Braves catching core. And to help me do that, I want to welcome in a good friend of mine, longtime friend of the show as well. So friend of mine, friend of the show, it's a pretty good combo right there, and his name is Corey McCartney. You can catch him on Twitter, at Corey J. McCartney. He also writes about the Braves for Talking Chop. He's been a very, very busy man, and we're heading in towards opening day as well. So this is a great time of year, Corey. It's great to connect with you and uh, fun to talk about baseball, which we've been doing for quite a while now. Yeah, you know, you get to the point where you get tired of previewing stuff, right? And we're, we're <laughs> yeah. inching up to opening day. There's only so many ways you can rehash the same stuff, so ready for something new and something, uh, you know, resembling actual games being played. So I'm ready to make this happen. Absolutely. Like we've gotten a little bit of that with spring training. Those are actual games and it does give us some new things to talk about. Of course, the big story is hopefully nobody gets hurt. And then when the games actually matter, you got all your players out there where you want them. And I think that would certainly be true for the Atlanta Braves catchers who in 2020 were a very interesting group to follow led by the breakout of Travis Darnot, who was one of the Braves' big free agent signings the previous winter. So let's start with Travis Darnot, who continued that offensive resurgence that he enjoyed in Tampa Bay in 2019. After bouncing around for the Mets and the Dodgers, he really just caught fire for the Rays, and the Braves rewarded him with a two-year, $16 million contract. And he turned himself into one of the best offensive catchers in Major League Baseball last season. And I know that Alex Anthopoulos and his crew felt like, hey, there's more in here. Like, we're signing Travis Darno, expecting him to contribute offensively and be part of this catching core that we've got. But, Corey, I don't know that anybody could have expected what Travis Darno did in 2020 at the plate. 
Yeah, and, and I kind of wonder, you know, from there's a couple things that I think pop out of that. Is, is number one is how realistic is it yeah. uh, in terms of, you know, if you want to play small sample size theater, you know, how much do you buy into a lot of the things that we <laughs> saw? And secondarily, how much of a corner did that paint this team in to the point where they didn't go out and get another veteran mm-hmm. to kind of share that ro- that job with him? I mean, we're hearing, you know, around 75% of the starts for Darno. So, you know, no more Tyler Flowers. So, when when you start looking at a pairing, it's like how much are they relying on what they saw last year in terms of believing that that's real, and and what did that do in terms of you know the roster construction or what's going to be the roster construction for twenty one? Yeah, those are realistic questions to be asking yourself if you're putting together a roster. But I can't blame the Braves for being thrilled with what they got from Darno last year. And before we jump into the stats, and I've got a lot of them lined up here, and I know you've got some lined up as well to talk about as we really parse through what was an incredible albeit shortened season, but a career year for Travis Darno last year. But you're right. The Braves did not bring back Tyler Flowers, who spent the last five years in Atlanta. And I think they are expecting 110, maybe 125 starts behind the plate from a healthy Darno. And that's the key phrase here is a healthy Darno. His career high was 95 starts way back in 2014 at the age of 25. He started 56 games behind the plate in 2019 and 32 behind the plate last year. So, Corey, I think you bring up a very interesting question is, how realistic is it to ask this catcher now on the other side of 30 to catch more games in a season than he ever has at any point of his career, injuries or no injuries? I mean, this is a big ask, is it not? Uh, you know, I think it is. And certainly, you know, we've seen him be productive uh, in the past. I mean, you go back to that 2015 year with the Mets when he hit, you know, 30% above league average. Mm-hmm. Obviously, blew that out of the water last year, I think yeah. 44% uh, above league average. But, you know, you think about, you know, the, the Bay Bip last year and, uh, yep. you know, the, the, the hard hit ball rate. I mean, you know, I don't doubt that he can physically handle it. I thought there were some interesting comments from Brian Snicker early in camp when asked about how he was going to handle Darno's playing time. And he said, it's tough to keep that bat out of the lineup. No doubt. Even talking to the the point of even if he's off and you've got him as a bat coming off the bench, it just feels to me like they're, they're putting themselves in a situation where they're going to run him ragged. And, you know, we're worried about pitchers, whether how many innings they through last year and how much of an impact that's going to have on them in 21. Well, what about the guy crouching down behind home plate who, you know, only, you know, played 44 games last year and now we're thinking about him going north of 100 um yeah i just it, to me it's it's dangerous territory when you're when you're really hoping you know that he can be that guy but certainly i mean if things fall you know fall to pieces i mean there, there are yeah. there are guys out there i mean whether you want to stay internally whether you want to go out and get somebody uh, but certainly they're hoping that, that they don't have to do that and darno is going to be last year plus No doubt. And as you look at what happened in the playoffs last year, and this is the second consecutive year where they were leaning heavily on one catcher to catch every single game. And rather than having that couple of games during the series where Tyler Flowers got a start, maybe he only plays six innings and then you go to that guy as a pinch hitter in a big spot or you make that defensive switch out and bring in, you know, a Travis Darno, for example, last year. But they really leaned on Darno throughout the playoffs, and I think that's fine for about a three-week stretch if you really want to call it that, or a month as the case may be with expanded playoffs. But regardless, as you look at what you're asking of Darno, it's something he hasn't done in his career in terms of pure games played behind the plate. So I think that's going to be a big story to monitor for the Braves, and I love having the positive outlook on, hey, this guy had a career year. We want that bad in the lineup. I certainly understand what Brian Snitker's saying there, but I am a little bit surprised that they didn't bring in somebody that could catch 40, 50 games minimum in terms of starts 
and know that he's a quantifiable big leaguer with some experience. And maybe that's something they shop for at the end of spring training. Maybe it's something they shop for the first couple of weeks of the season. If somebody gets cut loose, those are the kind of pieces that you can find out there for guys that don't fit into another team's roster. Even if you're stashing that guy at AAA at some point, he comes up later in the season could be a factor. There's a lot of different things at play in terms of the veteran aspect of what the Braves have behind the plate because I know they like to have these guys that can lead a pitching staff and they really leaned on them quite a bit to lead the pitching staff through a number of years where the Braves were trying to piece the pitching staff together in the midst of a rebuild. Yeah, I mean, you know, you and I can go back through, the, you know, the likes of uh, A.J. Pruszynski mm-hmm. and, you know, on and on with all the, the names that they've kind of linked together uh, post-Brian McCann trying to find some stability back there. And I do wonder from the end of them not going on and you know, getting a veteran, how much of that is to the notion of, okay, well, we've got this guy that had a career year last year. We believe that we can get X amount of starts out of him. We don't exactly know what we have from the youngsters, but if we can find that out in samples yeah. and, and inch them along, how much does that help us in long-term development as opposed to just bringing in two veterans and then really never knowing what an, an Alex Jackson or a William Contreras can do uh, if he gets you know a little bit of playing time throughout a year. So I think it, it, that certainly plays into it as well, but I just don't know if this team is – at the point where you want to play that game. I think you sure. don't want to have any holes. And if you only have so many bench spots and you're holding one of them for a backup catcher that you don't really know what he can do uh, at the major league level, uh, when you have the aspirations this team has, I just kind of feel like it, at this point it feels like a little bit of a miscalculation, but uh, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, it seems a little bit counterintuitive, and, and that's not a knock on building the roster because they do have some talent. We're going to talk about some of the young guys as well. We're also going to get into Travis Darno's stats, or at least I'm going to tell you that we're going to do that and really <laughs> go through what he did last year. But from the perspective of roster building, I, I was curious, and you brought up that interesting point kind of right off the bat about how much they're going to ask out of Darno and what their plan B is. But if your plan B is the kind of talent that the Braves do have in the pipeline, you could do a lot worse. And they pressed those guys into duty last year when they had a COVID scare with both Darno and Flowers early in the season. So it could work itself out. But the Braves don't seem like a club right now that's looking to bring along multiple players in their starting lineup. And if we're already thinking about opportunities still for Austin Riley to prove himself, the opportunity for Christian Pache to prove himself, at least at the plate, I think he's a proven commodity in the field, do you really want to be playing that game behind the plate as well? And that's the question the Braves will have to find out perhaps over the course of 2021. So let's stick a pin in the backups and the prospects that the Braves have right now and really focus in on what Darno did last year. You mentioned that uh, as far as batting average on balls put in play, that Travis Darno was way up there, and he certainly was. Over 400 was his batting average on balls put in play with a minimum of 150 plate appearances, 411, which is wild. It was second in Major League Baseball by one point to the Mets' Michael Conforto, and obviously it led all catchers in Major League Baseball, but that's a thing that Darno was doing quite well, was leading the way behind the plate. Led all catchers in MLB with 34 runs knocked in with 53 hits with a 321 average. This is the kind of offensive profile I don't know that the Braves realized they'd signed up for, but one of the big reasons why, nobody on the Braves hit the ball harder last year more consistently than Travis Darno, who had the highest exit velocity among catchers at 93.4 miles per hour. And that was fourth best in Major League Baseball and some pretty good names ahead of him. Fernando Tatis, Mike Trout, and Christian Yelich. I mean, these are some big names for Travis Darno to be hanging out with when it comes to hitting the ball hard. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you can look at what he did among catchers, too. I mean, think about a, a 1.6 F award for him last year. That mm-hmm. was 0.1 behind Real Muto, who goes out and gets a $150 million contract, 0.1 ahead of James McCann, who got a four-year, $40 million yep. payday from the Mets. Uh, 144 weighted run create a plus, uh, you know, better than both of those guys, better than Will Smith, better than Salvador Perez, who just got a new deal from the Royals. It was all like playing above his profile. And I mean, I think every stat you pull out of him was playing above his profile, which I think, as you mentioned from the start, is spectacular from the brace standpoint, but you do have to have your questions. Yeah, you do. And really, Smith was the only other National League catcher that seemed to be neck and neck with the overall body of work that Travis Darno put up last year. But I would go back to that exit velocity, and if you would ask me which Atlanta Brave is going to appear in the top five as far as average exit velocity in all of baseball, I would have guessed Marcelo Zuna. I would have guessed Ronald Acuna Jr. I might have even guessed Freddie Freeman, but I did not realize, even though I watched him day in and day out, I mean, Travis Darno was making consistent hard contact all the time as evidenced by the big numbers he was putting up, but that caught me completely by surprise when it came to at least 100 batted ball events was what I put into Baseball Savant to get that Mm -hmm. stat, and it's spitting out, oh, Fernando Tatis Jr., okay? Mike Trout, got it. Christian Yelich, oh, I thought he had a bad year. Guess he was okay as far as hitting the ball hard. And, oh, by the way, here's Travis Darno, number four in Major League Baseball on average exit velocity, at least in that sample size, which 2020 was the year of sample sizes. I mean, it's still pretty encouraging and if he can keep that up even if that batting average on balls in play is completely unsustainable which it is I still think offensively this guy has a lot to offer which circles us back around to why Brian Snitker wants to have him in the lineup as much as possible yeah I mean I think kind of playing off that as well I mean a 7.1 percentage of barrel balls uh, so you know yeah. this it, he made contact he made quality contact and whether you want to how much you want to put luck into the equation there those are the things I mean we, you could go back to conversations we had a year ago when Alex Anthopoulos was like, look, I know Marcelo Zuna isn't coming off of a career year, but these are the metrics, you know, batted ball events, hard hit ball rate, that are the reason we believe he's going to have a great season for us. You can say the exact same things about Darno in, you know, a trumped up shortened season Mm -hmm. to say these are kind of the peripherals that make you think that this stuff is real and it's sustainable. Yeah, and you brought up an interesting point when it comes to the kind of contracts that some, I don't know if they're comparable catchers, but who we would consider to be great available free agent catchers over the past year have picked up. And when Travis Darno signed at two years and $16 million, I got a lot of feedback that said, I cannot believe we are overpaying this guy based off what he did in Tampa Bay. You know, $8 million a year is too much for Travis Darno. Well, Major League teams, and this has been a trend for a while, there is a dearth of good catching in baseball. I mean, you can basically count them on one hand, the number of guys that I would call premier catchers. And it seems to be harder and harder to find that. So if you can lock down a guy that even if he can give you one or two good years of continuity behind the plate, I think that's what the Braves are trying to do there. And at least in year one, and again, I know it was only a 60-game season, they got everything they paid for with Darno and then some. Yeah, I mean, look, I think he's a guy who, you know, has always profiled as, you know, a 1.2 F4 kind of player, you know, who, you know, flirts with hitting above league average. If you look at steamers, zips, that's what they all are forecasting for him uh, for the 21 season. But, uh, you know, certainly from an $8 million a year standpoint, I, I think, you know, you want stability at that position. And as much as Tyler Flowers was key in a lot of the development of these young pitchers, 
you know, they needed a little more spark offensively. You mm-hmm. got it uh, and then some with Darno. So we'll see what he can do in year two. But there's certainly a lot to be excited about when you start looking at the, uh, again, the peripheral numbers and certainly coming off that year that he had. Yeah, and if the expectation is for Travis Darno to catch 100-plus ball games, maybe as many as 120 or more, at least the way it stands right now, you have to start asking who is going to be sharing some of that load behind the plate with him over the course of a 162-game season because, as you mentioned, this does change the dynamic of how you're planning to deploy your starting catcher. And 60 games, I think you could get away with riding somebody a little bit longer because you didn't have to worry about the three or four months that were going to follow and trying to have them still able to squat down and or sit upright by the time you got to October. And Darno didn't seem to be really worse for the wear throughout that sprint of a season in 2020, but I think that changes this year. And as you look at the candidates that we're talking about behind him here, they're all younger players, unproven players, and perhaps guys that may or may not even see the big leagues this year. But I want to start with Alex Jackson, a guy that's gotten a couple of glimpses, a couple of cups of coffee, if you want to call it that, in the big leagues in 2019 and in 2020. Former first-rounder, prodigious power, was traded to the Braves in 2016 and immediately converted from outfield back to catcher, which was his high school position, but the Mariners had moved him from behind the plate because they thought the bat would have a quick path to the major leagues. Well, none of those things have been true for him, and Alex Jackson found himself back behind the plate. But when you talk to people around the Braves, they always rave about how hard this kid has worked to make himself into not just an adequate catcher, but a very good catcher. And it's still a work in progress for him, but, Corey, that's not an easy transition to make. Even if you have experience at the amateur ranks, once you get to the pros and you're asked to move back to a position after, what, two, three full years of not playing it, and to be able to make it to the big leagues after that at one as demanding as catcher, Alex Jackson's put in the time, the power's there, but there are some holes in his game. There's no two ways about that. Yeah, I mean, I think about conversations I have with Brett Cumberland, uh, you know, after he was drafted by the Braves, going up to Rome to talk to him. And I remember him saying, look, it's so easy to be a catcher in high school because you don't ever have to call a game. And especially when you're working with, right. you know, he, I remember he had Colby Allard with them. And you have that ability to just kind of ride your arm and you don't really have to think too much mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, how you're going to attack a hitter. Well, if you've not done that at the pro level and all of a sudden you're thrust into it after a few years removed i mean think about that learning curve for for alex jackson and they were asking a ton out of him and i remember not this last spring training but the one before which had been his second in camp i remember him coming into camp and just having a very different mentality about it i think he approached it uh in a very different way you know uh, whether he saw you know opportunities for playing time or just you know wanting to change maybe perceptions of his uh, of his skill set behind the behind the plate, but I think you have seen him work really hard. It's just we have to remember, yes, he's been a professional for X amount of time, but mm-hmm. uh, they were asking a ton out of him, and certainly it's not always been great. Uh, but we've seen the power, we've seen it certainly at the the minor league level. Uh, it's not translated to the pros, and he's really struggled at the plate in the, the small amount of time that we've seen of him. But you know the power is there, you know the work ethic is there a matter of whether he can put it together at the major league level and whatever small opportunities he potentially could get in 21. I remember when they moved him back to catcher, the conversation that the front office had with him. I mean, there's a possibility Alex Jackson could have said, hey, um, I don't know that I want to do that. And that might have scuttled mm-hmm. the whole thing right there. And they may have said, okay, well, I mean, if it's not something he's willing to do, maybe we're asking too much. Maybe they try to convince him to do it. Maybe he just you know, reluctantly agrees, they do it for three weeks, and then they abandon the whole experiment. Like, he did not allow that to happen. There's a lot of different ways that conversation could have gone, 
and that the string of events after that could have gone for Alex Jackson that you know may not have ended up with him on the 40-man roster, let alone seeing time in the big leagues, which is something he has the last couple of years. I really throw that sample size out right now because we're talking about so few plate appearances, but we do know that this guy has as much raw power as any prospect in the Brave system. This guy can hit the ball a ton. He showed that off in 2019 in Gwinnett. 85 games played for him that year, 28 home runs. I know there was a kind of a juice ball thing happening back in 2019 as well, but when you hit 28 homers and less than 350 plate appearances, that will get my attention. I will look at that, especially if you have adequate receiving skills at the very least and you continue to work on those and are showing the improvements behind the plate. If this is a guy that can keep that batting average somewhere even in the 230s and hit you know, home runs at a decent rate, and then call a good game, catch you a good game, handle the staff the way you need them to, you can carve out a long major league career as a catcher by doing those things. You don't have to be JT Romuto to catch for a long time in Major League Baseball. Yeah, but, you you know, look, across every level in his career, he's got a 40% strikeout rate on average in his career. I mean, you look at that last year, uh, AAA was at 34%. I think, you know, when you think about three true outcomes, he's got two of them nailed, right? He just has really struggled with the walk rate, and I think that plate discipline is something you're really going to have to see improve from him if he's going to stick because you can offset transitioning or developing skills behind the plate if you can deliver power. But if you're striking out at 34% rate in a season, I mean, that's awfully hard to justify sometimes. So I think that's got to get better. That's the one thing. As much as you talk about what can he do behind the plate, just plate discipline to me is a major, major thing with Alex Jackson. No, it's definitely a big thing. And look, he does have a lifetime 30% K rate. If he's striking out 40% of the time, I don't know that he'd be climbing through the ranks. It'd be very difficult unless your name well, is Joey Gallo. That's at that's the major, when you think about the, that's at the, the major league level. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. But when you, when you look at the totality of it. Yeah, no, but I'm just saying in 22 plate appearances, it's really hard to really yes. draw any comparisons off of those as, as we talk about the sample sizes and whatnot. And, and the strikeouts are they're a big part of his game. When I said this kid has holes, that's one of the holes right there, and he does need to improve that walk rate. There's really no two ways about that. But I think he has done enough to earn himself an opportunity to perhaps break camp with the big league club as we're sitting right now. I think Alex Jackson may be the backup catcher for the Braves. I know we're going to talk about William Contreras. We're going to talk about Shea Langoliers as well. But can you really see either one of those other guys challenging Jackson as it stands right now to at least break camp and start the season as the Braves' backup catcher? I don't see the point in it being William Contreras right now. I think that's more of where I'm at. I mean, if you were to give me an option and you were to just say, let's put together and you can, you know, this ties into everything going on with the bullpen and mm-hmm. guys with options and all this, it's, what's the optimum version of this team is, is William Contreras. But what makes sense for development of a player and what makes sense for the long term, it's Alex Jackson. I think that because you want Contreras to have more development of time. I mean, yeah, he's played what, four games uh, at the major yeah. league level, and we're going to yeah. talk more about him uh, in a minute. But, you know, you got to figure out what you have in Alex Jackson. We've seen him get a taste, but we've not seen him – you know, be consistently at the major league level and consistently getting any opportunities there. So it, it's time, you know, this is a former first round pick. You know, and obviously a time when the Braves were stockpiling first round picks. A lot of those guys they acquired did not pan out. And right. I think it's time to figure out uh, what is Alex Jackson? Is he an everyday major league player? And as we talked a lot about the stockpiling of prospects, you want to have as many as you can, because by the numbers of guys that either get to the big leagues or stay in the big leagues, 
not everybody's going to pan out just because they were taken in an early round and just in general. I mean, the percentage of guys that are drafted and then make it to the major leagues is low enough as it is. But those first-round talents, having guys that were among the better players from that year's draft, you can see why the Braves wanted to do that, and you can see why they were intrigued by the possibilities with Alex Jackson. And this is not sitting here to say that he's going to spend six months as the Braves' backup catcher. This plan could change after a week, two weeks, three weeks, an injury could change things. A number of different things could change. And one of those things is they could look out there and find a veteran catcher that they do bring over right before the season starts, a la the way they brought in Anibal Sanchez a couple of years ago, the way they brought in Matt Joyce. You find some pieces that may not fit somewhere else, and they might click with your roster. It might be just what you needed, and there'll be a lot of those decisions to be made in the lead-up to opening day, and the Braves might find some options out there that they like, or at least one option out there that they like that would make a little bit more sense in the long term. So we'll see how that whole thing plays out. But just looking at what they have in camp right now, I really get the feel that it's Alex Jackson's job right now. Not necessarily his job to lose, but he's going to get first crack at it. And then we'll see how things play out over the course of 162. Uh, Corey, you brought up William Contreras, and there's a lot to like when you talk about him. He was pushed into the major leagues last year before the Braves were ready because they needed to bring up a couple of catchers because they had a little COVID scare at the start of the year with both Darno and with Flowers. Contreras has been in the organization since 2015, signing out of Venezuela. We know he's the younger brother of Wilson Contreras, the Cubs catcher who's carved out a nice career, and his brother's looking to follow in his footsteps. Uh, number seven prospect in the Braves system is rated by MLB.com to start the season. There's a ton to like about this kid, and one of the things that I noticed last year was that he had really retooled his swing, and it looked like he was capable of tapping into some power, which is great because as he climbed in the system in 2019, his power kind of disappeared from low A Rome by the time he finished up in Mississippi the following season. Of course, most of last year at the alternate training site, this is going to be where the questions start for where are your minor league guys at? How much did they gain in 2020 or how much development time did they lose? There's some really fascinating questions a lot of major league clubs are going to have to ask themselves as they size up where to start some of these guys here in 2021 with a full season, you hope, and with minor league baseball still about a month away. Yeah, and don't you think if we had had last year with everybody going full bore in the minors that we would maybe be having a different conversation oh, about yeah. who's getting I that do. opportunity behind uh, Darno? But, you know, at this point, uh, you, you mentioned Contreras being brought up last year and just playing a handful of games out of necessity. I mean, he's never played above double A mm-hmm. in, in the minor league level. So, you know, I think six home runs, you know, after that surge you talked about in 18 past uh, A ball. So I, I think we need to see that retooled swing play consistently. We need to see consistent in the bats. We need to see whether he can deliver, uh, you know, extra base hits. You know, certainly we saw him get one at the major league level, but we need to see those consistently. Um, So, yeah, I think that the developmental side of him uh, is really an interesting piece of the puzzle because whether you want to equate it with Drew Waters or whoever, you know, in the Braves system, it's just going to be one of those issues where we're going to watch it over time because we just don't know what last year meant or what it didn't mean. So I think he's going to be a very fascinating case in terms of that. Yeah, most of 2020 at the alternate training site over in Gwinnett, which talking to some folks about this, it seemed like for hitters it was a lot of groundhog day. For pitchers, they were on this nice rotation of when they're going to be pitching, facing live hitters, trying to keep themselves sharp. Of course, it's not game action for either group, but for hitters it had to be a little bit more of a head game, if you want to call it that, to try to keep yourself sharp in case you got called up. 
and Contreras was, was there for much of the year last year. When you do go back to his 110 games in 2019, it was split between High A Florida and Double A Mississippi. Slash line was 255, 315, 354. Uh, WRC plus in Mississippi, so the Double A level, the highest level he's played was just 90 which, you know, that's not exactly an inspiring number. Now, I know a lot of us have looked at William Contreras as being kind of a bloodlines guy. His brother's a catcher. This is clearly something that he's taken to a position that he's always played, as opposed to, say, Alex Jackson, who's trying to relearn a position he played when he was younger. I mean, this is a guy that I do think has a lot of the tools that you want. And really, it's got to be about getting him the reps. So having him at the big league level, if you are going to play Darno most of the time, I don't know if that's beneficial to William Contreras, but when the alternative here is the alternate site for a month before, say, AAA, it's an intriguing question for the Braves to at least play around with because while I do think Alex Jackson will get first crack at this job, there is still a compelling case to be made that maybe William Contreras makes your team better, as you mentioned, from the talent perspective. Where do you weigh in on all that? Yeah, I mean, I think that is the case, right? I mean, I, I think because there's going to be wear and tear on Darno. Yeah, it, it's just an inevitability. And when those games happen, when it's a you know a, a Sunday getaway game or whatever you know you want to call after he's been out there for X amount of days in a row, and you need to get him a break. I mean, are you going to get enough that you feel you're getting quality catching out of Jackson, or is William Contreras the better option? I think he just simply makes more sense, but. I just think the developmental side of it for him is the real tie-up right now. And, you know, certainly I kind of laugh at this, the fact that we're talking about Contreras and Alex Jackson. I I think back to those days where, you know, the top catchers in this system were guys like Jonathan Morales and Brett Mm -hmm. Cumberland and Lucas Herbert and how much it's vastly elevated uh, the options uh, are now, even though, you know, we're still, we've not seen a homegrown catcher, uh, you know, back there behind home playing on a consistent basis for this team since. McHale. McCann, since McCann left, but um, you know, certainly you got to feel that that's going to happen. It, it's going to be Contreras. Um, it just doesn't make sense in 2021 after 2020 for him to get that chance. But uh, again, Alex Jackson's going to get that first crack. But I, I think Contreras, from a long term, you still have to be excited about it. We've not seen the offense completely come together for him, uh, but everyone just raves about you know his ability behind the plate. So uh, I, I think. it's going to be fascinating to see how this thing plays out. Maybe just for the year 2021, that question will have to be answered. When you look beyond 2021, Travis Darno, of course, will be a free agent after the season, and you're going to reassess again. And now let me introduce yet another element into this equation that we're talking about behind the plate. And it's an element that I think, and this is just from where I'm sitting and seeing all of the things that I've seen from him in college and, of course, when you spend a top 10 pick on a gentleman like Shea Langoliers to perhaps be the future catcher of your club, you're going to give him every opportunity to do that. And that's going to be an interesting, I'd say, battle long-term to decide who might be that guy behind the plate. And I think Langoliers, at the same age as William Contreras, less professional experience, but highly touted college catcher, Braves' top pick in 2019 out of Baylor, made his pro debut, went right into low A Rome, did well enough at the plate, and you talk about rave reviews for handling a pitching staff. Of course, the pop time, we've heard a lot about that. I mean, this guy can throw out runners. He does everything that you want a catcher to do. He just he checks every single box. Uh, Langoliers, number 73 prospect in baseball for 2021, is rated by MLB.com, number four in the Braves system by MLB.com as well. 
255, couple of home runs, knocked in 34 runs, though, in 54 games for Rome in 2019. As I mentioned, a pretty decent uh, first crack at professional baseball, highly touted receiving skills, good offensive profile, another guy who lost a year of development in 2020. I don't expect him to be a big factor in 2021, but when you draft a college catcher like that, we've seen this. These are guys that can make a beeline toward the major leagues if they're able to do enough at each stop in the minors. And we could be having a very different conversation this time a year from now, to make a long story short. Yeah, I think we need to refer to him as Mr. Pop Time. I think that's, you know, we talk about under 1.9, <laughs> which, you know, you look at baseball. Yeah, that's elite. I mean, that's, that's, that's elite. That's JT Romuto territory. That's big time. And certainly, I think he is the reason why 21 is so key for Alex Jackson, because if Jackson, in whatever amount of opportunities he gets, whatever amount of time he's seen as number two behind Darno, he knows that both those guys are sitting there for 2022, and there's a real strong possibility that we're talking about Contreras and Langoliers a year from now when Alex Jackson's out of the equation. Uh, whether you know he's on another team, whether he's playing another position, or whether you think about a DH again, and that's ultimately uh, where he finds himself. But I, I think that's why, from a defensive standpoint, an everyday standpoint, 21 looms so large for Alex Jackson because Shane Langoliers is much more advanced in terms of the ability to handle a staff, to throw runners out, to be an everyday player. I mean, he's a lot of fun to watch. And certainly, you know, another strong spring for him uh, before he got uh, reassigned to minor league camp. Uh, I know only two for 11 at the play to double a home run of just six games for him. We think you want him to stick around. You want him to get that Sean Kazmar, let's roll with you in the spring treatment just because (laughs) he's so much fun to watch. Sure. Yeah, a year from now, you're right. A very, very different uh, conversation. And Langoliers uh, is going to be a major factor in that talk. It's a much more exciting conversation to have than the Braves had for a number of years, especially after Brian McCann. I mean, there was that couple of seasons where it looked like, hey, this Christian Bethencourt guy is going to be the catcher of the future. But by the time he got to the big leagues, quite simply, he underwhelmed. I mean, he basically lost that job, and they were happy to go with retread major league catchers or guys who were never looked upon as the starting catcher for clubs that they played for or hadn't been in a while. I mean, you've got A.J. Pierzynski stealing time from Christian Bethencourt, really even before Tyler Flowers was a factor there. But going forward, the Braves would rather go with a Tyler Flowers and move on from a Christian Bethencourt for a number of different reasons. And the biggest one of those, of course, was performance. A lot of pass balls, a lot of uh, just this wasn't the guy that you were hearing all about. But that's not the case, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make here with a William Contreras and with a Shea Langoliers as well. I mean, these are two top talents, uh, different profiles, I think, a little bit. I think Langoliers can hit a little bit more. That's just the read right now. A year from now, we could be looking at it and saying, hey, man, 2021 was the year that William Contreras put it all together at the plate. Rays would love to see that. They'd also love to see what Langoliers can do over the course of a full season. They haven't gotten to see that either. So some question marks for both guys. And as we mentioned, this is not necessarily a place where the Braves are We've got to use one of these guys because we have nothing else. But they don't have a lot else to kind of come all the way back to what might happen over the course of the season, maybe looking for a veteran at some point to plug in there as a stopgap behind Travis Darno before you get to the future, which could arrive as soon as 2022. Yeah, and I think, you know, just real quick on Bethancourt, I think you can look back to the faith they had in him stunting what they had in the system for so long, believing yeah, that he was going to figure it out and he was going to be the guy and, and catching was just not a priority. Yeah. And certainly until you take Langoliers in the first round, 
I mean, how much of it was, you know, just an afterthought that this guy will get it figured out. And that was why they were in this situation where you're bringing in Gerald Laird's and AJ Przinsky's and Kurt Suzuki's and Tyler Flowers, because you just didn't have anything developmentally in your system. That's why you go out and make that deal for Alex Jackson, believing, okay, you know, this guy was a former first round pick. He was a catcher. Let's see if maybe we can put it all together for him. That faith put them in a really tough spot, and certainly they're in a good position going forward. But the one thing you can say is this may be the last year that they have somebody who isn't homegrown playing that catching position from a primary standpoint for potentially years to come, which I think is a, a huge testament to, to what's happened you know, under John Covello's watch and then certainly mm-hmm. what Alex Antopoulos has been able to do. Yeah, and I don't want to make this like a, a Christian Bethancourt career memorial podcast or anything like that. But, I mean, look, the Braves were done with him after 70 starts behind the plate, 80 games played. So basically half a baseball season, they had seen everything they needed to see between 2014 and 2015 to decide, got to go back to the drawing board. Now, around that time in 2015, of course, they signed young William Contreras, who's now 23. But we're talking about a six-year progression to get himself in position to get to the big leagues last year and hopefully get there to stay moving forward. But I think you hit on something really important. They just they didn't draft well when it came to catchers. They certainly didn't develop them well. I mean, Jonathan Morales is still hanging around in the Braves minor league system, and I don't want to just discount any guy in terms of what an injury can do if somebody pulls a hamstring, strains an oblique. You just never know what could go on. If you prove yourself to at least be dependable behind the plate and handling the pitching staff, you might get pressed into action at some point. So I don't know that that necessarily paves the way for, say, a Jonathan Morales to get to the big leagues, but it'll be interesting to see how the Braves deal with it if they are forced to go with internal candidates and really make up the bulk of the playing time for an extended period of time throughout the 2021 season as they're presently constructed. I would be more surprised if anything happens. I think Tyler Flowers is back, right? I mean, doesn't that just make sense? Don't you think that you're well, you're going to coax him back because of the peace of mind that you have with if, him behind the plate with a familiarity with the pitching staff, all that? Sure. I mean, that? To me, that just makes more sense. If he wants to come back, which is the other thing. I mean, he may want to play out there. I know there have been some rumblings that the Mets were interested in Tyler Flowers, and he may be out there looking for work, but at this point – and how quickly can he be ready, I think might be another big question. He's missed all of spring training now at this point. And we're talking about a guy who at 35 years old and as a catcher might just be at the end of his run as a big league player. So is that a guy that I think they could call? Sure. It's just a guy that I feel like they would have called by now if they were going to bring him back. And that may be a strange way to look at it, but it just kind of feels like, especially with the season he had last year, which there really wasn't much opportunity for him, He was really not seen at all, I believe, in the playoffs. And if he was, it was uh, very, very little in terms of getting the opportunity to play. They just didn't lean on him in their playoff run in 2020. They leaned heavily on Travis Darnot, and that seems to be the same mindset that they're bringing into the start of 2021. And I, I can't blame them offensively speaking, but I do think about the insurance of having somebody who knows the staff, as you pointed out, who's worked with a lot of these guys, who's familiar with the way the Braves do things. I'm kind of surprised they didn't do a little something in that regard, even if it was just bringing back Tyler Flowers for another year. But again, he has a choice too, and he either may not be open to that or he may be deciding if he wants to continue playing. So there's just, I guess, a little bit of question uh, surrounding even the return of uh, Tyler Flowers, which may or may not excite Braves country to have Flowers back in the fold for another year. 
and not that I want to turn this into a dissection of the, the current state of free agent catchers, but I mean, you know, there's not a lot of guys out there. Matt Wieters is about I me. Mean, look, hey, Renee Rivera, we, the former, former brave, former Renee, brave. You know, John Ryan Murphy. I mean, these former are you brave. Know, familiar names. To, yeah, uh, there's not a lot out there. Uh, so uh, to go back to what we talked about at the beginning, they painted themselves into a corner mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully Darno is ready to handle an extremely high workload. And if he's not, uh, hopefully they can get enough uh, from a youngster to supplement it. Yeah, and at the risk of talking in circles, they can always reassess if they have to go out and make a move. I feel like Alex Anthopoulos can probably go out and make a move. But that's a look at what the Braves have going on behind the plate for the majority of spring training. Of course, Travis Darno is cemented in that starter's role. We've seen a decent little amount from Alex Jackson, William Contreras, not as much from Shea Langoliers, but I think that we've sized up everything the Braves have going on behind the plate for the year 2021 and in the future where they can start looking at the William Contreras's and the Shea Langoliers and really getting into a competition that Corey, I think if, and when we do have this conversation this time next year, it's going to be very intriguing. Yeah, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for homegrown options. Bring it on. Well, I look forward to it. And I also look forward to us catching up and talking some more baseball here in the year 2021. I appreciate all the time that you made to chat with me about what the Braves have going on behind the plate and let everybody know where they can find your most recent work. And of course, let everybody know about the book that you wrote, the Atlanta Braves book that I believe is essential to any Braves fans library. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, you can find uh, my Braves work at TalkingChop.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Corey J. McCartney. And yeah, the updated version of Tales from the Atlanta Braves dugout came out uh, at the beginning of last season. A uh, number of updates, new chapter on Freddie Freeman. I was really proud of So you can find that on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble. All right, well, I look forward to chatting with you again about all things Braves, but also you still got to sign my copy of Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout. <laughs> okay, I will do that. All right, my friend, I appreciate it. I'll catch you soon. All right. My thanks, as always, to Corey McCartney for making time for me. Enjoyed talking about the Atlanta Braves catchers with him. And our next stop on the preview series will be a look at the prospects in the Atlanta Braves system for 2021. Very much looking forward to diving into that. As always, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also find every episode on my YouTube channel. Just search for Grant McCauley there. Make sure you're following along on social media, on Twitter, at From the Diamond underscore is where you find the show. I am at Grant McCauley on Twitter and as well on Instagram. And you can also find the show at From the Diamond on Instagram. No underscore on the end there. And every episode of the show and so much more can be found at FromTheDiamond.com. Definitely appreciate Corey McCartney making some time to talk about the Atlanta Braves catching core. And as always, thank you for making From the Diamond part of your baseball podcast regimen. I look forward to talking with you guys very soon about the latest and what's happening with the Atlanta Braves as they embark on the 2021 season and opening day grows closer by the day. So until next time, for Corey McCartney, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.